The Israelites at the time of Christ were not a seafaring people. While St. Peter and some of the apostles were fishermen, a familiarity with the ocean or the Sea of Galilee wasn't true of the whole nation. For them, the sea symbolised something disturbing for mankind because of its formidable power. The sea was something impossible to dominate, something terrible and menacing at any moment. The sea was also the symbol of something very deep, impenetrable and unreachable, like a bottomless abyss. Rather than its benefits for humanity, it was experienced as an enemy, waiting in ambush, ready to unleash itself. The sea inspired fear, because it was seen as a force that is greater than man, a force that no one is able to control. Once more in the Gospel reading of the Sacred Liturgy for this Sunday, we see the two natures of Christ, perfectly and seamlessly united. Nature has power over our Lord as man, but he has power over nature as God. Exhausted by the work he had been doing, our Lord fell into such a deep sleep that he was not awoken by the violent squall. Why did Christ, God and therefore all-powerful, allow himself to fall asleep when his followers were confronted with a powerful and destructive force, when they were in so much danger? St. John Chrysostom comments on this passage that Christ permits the apostles to be in danger so that they might not become proud of being chosen to be alone with him, whereas he had sent the crowds away before they crossed the lake. He also wanted to teach them to bear temptations manfully. He gives time for their fear by his sleeping. If he had been awake, they would either not have feared nor have asked him to save them when the storm arose, or they would not have thought that he could do any such things. You know, Christ will allow each of us to have a similar experience. Maybe it won't be on a boat during a storm that threatens to sink us, but each one of us will run up against some kind of storm or many storms in this life. It may be the long and painful sickness of a loved one, the death of a beloved child, damage caused by a family member's addictions or infidelities, the ravages of war, a debilitating natural disaster, financial ruin, intense heart-sickening loneliness, or the dark night of the soul of spiritual dryness. For many it has been, and still is, these past months that have been dominated by the viruses. Why does an all-powerful God appear to go to sleep in our boats and let these storms rage against us? 
Well, the Catechism tells us clearly that we will not understand God's ways fully until we meet him face to face on the other side of death. In paragraph 324 in the Catechism we read, quote, The fact that God permits physical and even moral evil is a mystery that God illuminates by his Son, Jesus Christ, who died and rose to vanquish evil. Faith gives us the certainty that God would not permit an evil if he did not cause a good to come from that very evil by ways that we shall fully know only in eternal life. End of quote. However, even before death in this life, we can comprehend God's ways partially if we understand God's plan and purpose for our lives. God's perspective on our brief journey on earth isn't that it be one of perfect comfort and unbroken pleasure. Rather, he wants us to achieve holiness, which is accompanied by wisdom, courage, joy, and spiritual maturity from the Holy Spirit. In other words, this life is to prepare us so that we are able to enter heaven. And this involves learning to trust in him more than in ourselves, learning that we are not all-powerful. That's hard to learn, because it is not the way our human nature wants to operate as a result of original sin. And so sometimes God goes to sleep in our boats and lets the storm rage so that we will come to know and accept the reality of our limitations and the truth of our dependence on him. The classic Old Testament example of someone having trouble accepting God's plan and purpose is Job. In today's first reading, we get an example of God's efforts to teach Job this invaluable lesson in wisdom. Job has been complaining about all the bad things that have been happening to him, and God answers by reminding him that he, God, is master even of those bad things, that he controls and limits them according to his omnipotent wisdom. God doesn't explain to Job all the reasons behind everything he does and everything he permits. He can't. How can we who are finite, limited creatures expect to understand all the Creator's infinite wisdom with perfect clarity? And so instead of an exhaustive explanation, God simply reminds Job that he is all-powerful and that he will never abandon his children. Of course, the greatest example of God's unfathomable plans is in Christ's own death and resurrection. God is not the source of the sins that caused our Lord's immense, painful and humiliating sufferings. Neither is it God's will that a person sins. But God's love was powerful enough, powerful enough to turn those hideous wounds of Christ into the doorway for us into heaven. Notice how our Lord says to the apostles after he has calmed the storm and woken up, How is it that you have no faith? If the apostles had had faith, they would have believed in him 
even when he was sleeping. They would have known he would protect them, but their faith needed to grow. How does our faith grow? Well, our faith grows by practicing it. We can practice our faith interiorly by making a formal act of faith, by reading and soon memorizing an act of faith like this one. O my God, I firmly believe that you are one God in three divine persons, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. I believe that your divine Son became man and died for our sins and that he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe these and all the truths which the Holy Catholic Church teaches because you have revealed them, who are eternal truth and wisdom, who can neither deceive nor be deceived. In this faith I intend to live and die. Amen. If you don't have that act of faith in one of your books, prayer books or other books, it's easy to find on the internet. The EWTN website is very good for Catholic prayers. So I encourage you to find that act of faith and to use it regularly to memorize it. And by the way, there's a corresponding act of hope, an act of charity that go with it. We can also practice and deepen our faith exteriorly. When we do God's will in very tiny or in bigger ways, we are saying the yes of faith by our actions. We give silent but powerful witness to our faith through our living example. We practice the faith by doing good. We can have outward visual signs of our faith in our home, like a picture of the Sacred Heart of Jesus and the Immaculate Heart of Mary, a crucifix on the wall. We can have these outward visual signs in our car, like a little statue of Our Lady, or on our desk at work, like a small crucifix, and even on our electronic devices, like a background image or wallpaper, even on our clothing and on our person. We can also witness our faith by saying grace in a restaurant if we are alone, and if the person we are with is Catholic. We can also witness by slightly bowing our head whenever we hear the holy name of Jesus. If we really believe in God, it should naturally show through. We can also explicitly speak about our faith. This can be to give witness to our faith, to explain something about the faith, or even to defend the Catholic faith when someone else attacks it. In the offertory at Mass, each of us can offer up with the bread and the wine to God whatever efforts we have made up till now to live our faith. We can also offer to God our desire to do more. This unites us intimately with the mystery of our Lord's death and resurrection, which we celebrate at every Holy Mass. May our faith grow strong, and may our individual patron saints intercede for us, that we may be faithful members 
of Christ's Holy Church. Laudato Jesus Christus.